Our word for today is kintsugi. That's kintsugi. What in the world does that have to do with being a Christ follower? That's a great question. And special guest speaker Stephen Griffith will unpack that for us on today's A Critical Faith podcast from First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. A reading from Matthew, the 16th chapter. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom in heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I'm a news junkie, I'll admit it. I enjoy politics and follow the news. I have always paid attention to elections and campaigns and follow legislative debates. I've noticed over the years that most politicians, regardless of their party, are very concerned with what people say about them, their reputation, their appearance, their image, their popularity. And often that seems more important than things that really matter, like policies and actions and hard decisions to solve complex problems. And so Jesus' question in the Gospel that we read today, catches my attention. What do people say about me? Who do they say I am? Now, let's take a look at the context. Jesus has been healing and teaching the crowds. He fed the multitudes twice and stilled the storm. And then he healed the daughter of a Canaanite woman. Now, he and the disciples are taking some time off. They're sitting, talking things over, and he's answering questions and explaining to the disciples. And and then he asks, what do people think of me? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah or Jeremiah or some other prophet is the Son of Man. But who do you say I am? asked Jesus. I picture the disciples looking around at each other, wondering what to say, and looking at Simon, silently pleading with him to say something. Simon Peter is the one who says what he thinks, sometimes before he thinks. He's the one who acts rashly, and the one who's willing to step out and walk on water, even when later he realizes what he's done and cries out, help me. But maybe in that moment, even he was reluctant to say anything. I imagine him wondering what to say, how to answer, even whether to risk an answer in case it's the wrong answer. But then Simon confesses Jesus. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon. You got it right. You are like a rock, Petra. And on this rock, I will build my church. Simon became known as Peter. Now, we know that Peter 
didn't become perfect just because he understood this about Jesus. Oh, far from it. There are all kinds of examples. And later, he denied even knowing Jesus three times. But he continued growing into the grace of God's kingdom. He kept journeying toward a deeper understanding of Christ. We say Peter confessed Jesus. There are two usual meanings of confession. One is admitting what we've done, a confession of sin. We acknowledge who we are. We admit our brokenness and our need, as well as what we've done. Martin Luther taught that we are simultaneously saint and sinner. We're not perfect. We keep failing. And God keeps working with us until we're able to express our faith and even more able to live trusting in God's forgiveness. That's the second meaning of confession. We confess our faith. We acknowledge and affirm who God is. God is faithful. God is merciful and gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This faith is not a prerequisite for following Jesus. It comes to us on the journey as we follow. Faith is a process lasting our whole lives long, forming our identity and unfolding our vocation as we journey along with Jesus. It's a gift, faith. It's not an achievement. It's the trust that God's love is bigger than our love. I think of words by Reinhold Niebuhr, who was a Reformed pastor and theologian and was one of the most influential thinkers and writers of the mid-20th century. He maybe is best known for the serenity prayer, uh, but his books were very influential, especially There Are Moral Man and Immoral Society, The Nature and Destiny of Man, and the one I'm going to quote from, The Irony of American History. Niebuhr wrote, Nothing that is worth doing can be achieved in our lifetime. Therefore, we must be saved by hope. Nothing which is true or beautiful or good makes complete sense in any immediate context of history. Therefore, we must be saved by faith. Nothing we do, however virtuous, could be accomplished alone. Therefore, we must be saved by love. No virtuous act is quite as virtuous from the standpoint of our friend or foe as it is from our own standpoint. Therefore, we must be saved by the final form of love, which is forgiveness. We are saved by hope, by faith, by love, by forgiveness. Several years ago, a friend shared with me an image that comes from a song by Peter Mayer titled, Japanese Bowl. The title refers to a Japanese art that repairs broken pottery by mending the breaks with lacquer dusted or mixed with powdered gold, silver, or platinum. This reflects a philosophy of embracing the flawed or imperfect. Wikipedia tells me that Japanese aesthetics acknowledge brokenness and treats breakage and repair as part of the history of an object rather than something to hide. So you keep an object around 
even after it's broken, but you fix it. This art form called kintsugi highlights the cracks and repairs as simply events in the life of an object that are made beautiful rather than throwing the object away when it's damaged or repaired. With this in mind, Peter Mayer sings, I'm like one of those Japanese bowls that were made long ago. I have some cracks in me. They have been filled with gold. That's what they used back then when they had a bowl to mend. It did not hide the cracks, but made them shine instead. So now every old scar shows from every time I broke. And anyone's eyes can see I'm not what I used to be. But in a collector's mind, all these jagged lines make me more beautiful and worth a higher price. I'm like one of those Japanese bowls. I was made long ago. I have some cracks. You can see how they shine of gold. There are many ways that we're broken and many ways our society is broken. But maybe our calling is to find ways to mend each other to mend the breaks, restore each other, and restore society to usefulness. The good news is that God sees our brokenness and works to repair us. This realization of the forgiving love of God, this confession, is the rock of our life, the strong foundation. What's more, Jesus said, even the gates of Hades will not hold against the church. Jesus said to Peter, you are the rock. I'll build my church on this rock, on this confession. And not even Hades will be able to withstand the power of that forgiveness. There's a painting of the resurrection of Christ from the 1300s in a church in Istanbul, Turkey. It shows the risen Christ standing astride a great chasm pulling Adam and Eve out of the pit of hell. And not just Adam and Eve as representatives of humanity, but all of creation along with them being pulled by the risen Christ out of the pit of Hades. This painting speaks to me in a powerful way. It's a reminder that the resurrection wasn't just for Jesus back then, over there in an ancient land. It's for each of us now, here. And it reminds me that I'm not alone, that none of us is alone in the troubles we face. Because Jesus isn't just risen off in heaven someplace. Jesus sits with us in our own hells and gets down in the pit with us and walks with us slogs through the mess with us, takes hold of us and lifts us up, repairs and mends and heals. These are difficult times. Our society is divided over many things. We are suspicious of each other over political differences and angry at economic disparities. We're fearful of racial injustices and and the uncomfortable conversations that we're required to have to overcome them. We're worried about health precautions we must take, and, and even our religious convictions get in the way of building community together. 
Sometimes it seems that there's nothing at all normal about these times. We're realizing that perhaps we won't ever return to what we thought was normal before. But maybe it's our calling to imagine a different normal, to follow Christ's way and build a new reality, to mend and repair and make the broken places beautiful. There's a hymn whose words I've been recalling a lot lately. One of the verses goes, The soul that on Jesus still leans for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. That's something we can count on. And I'm so grateful to God. Thank you for listening to this edition of a Critical Faith Podcast from First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, where we aspire to be a place that nurtures your faith, where your curiosity is encouraged, diversity is welcomed, and all are truly loved. Join us again next week, and in the meantime, please check out our website at fpclincoln.org or like our Facebook page at First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, Nebraska.